Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 55, 56, 57 and 58 of The Maze Runner. It's the second last episode. The second last batch of chapterinos before we call this book quits. (sighs) I'm so relieved. I don't know if you guys have gotten the impression yet, but I really hate this book. Anyway, so where we left off, Thomas had just somehow inspired the majority of the glade to go running into the maze to head for the cliff to go into the griever hole battle all the grievers they're hoping that just one person will die and it will not be thomas thomas initially said that he'd sacrifice himself but then he zipped his lip on that one and he was like psych actually it will be anybody who will die and yes and then they just started charging into the maze with all of their little weapons. And we pick up chapter 55 with them running through the maze, heading towards the cliff. And he makes note of the blinking lights of the beetle blades. And he's like, oh, the creators are certainly watching and listening. One way or another, there was going to be a fight. And then while they're running, Teresa starts talking telepathically with him and she's like, you scared? And he's like, nah, I love things made out of blubber and steel. Can't wait to see them. You know, you don't have to be sarcastic all the time. And I'm saying that as a sarcastic person who has a podcast built around sarcasm. But yeah, there's a time and a place. You're heading into battle. Like, cool your jets. Also, they're next to each other. They're running next to each other, but they're choosing to talk telepathically. And he's like, we'll be fine. Just stay close to me and Minnow. And she's like, oh yeah, my knight in shining armor, proper noun, capital K, capital S, capital A. And he's like, yeah, no, I actually think you can fend for yourself. I was just trying to be nice. Like, please don't respond sarcastically to me. I would never do that to you. So then they keep running and Thomas is thinking, oh, I wonder how long it'll take for these non-runners to slow down and lose pace. Because it's such a specialized skill set running. He has no confidence in the other people being able to run. And eventually Newt does fall back and says to Minnow, you lead the way. Remember, Newt has like a gimpy leg. Um, I'm, that's the phrase that they use. That's not my phrase, <laughs> just so we're clear. Uh, yeah, so of course he was gonna be at the back of the pack no matter what, wasn't he? And Thomas is just expecting the grievers to start jumping out of them. He's like, all right, here we go. And then he says, and so it went. 
Gladers not used to running such distances started gasping in huge gulps of air, but no one quit. Hey, just walk. Did they ever think about maybe just walking? I don't know why they had to run. Like, I understand that the runners set the precedent that they would be runners in the maze because they'd have to run and get back in time before the door shut. You have no worry about that now. Just walk. There's no need to be running. Perhaps a light jog might be best, but there's really no need. But they keep running and then finally, after the longest hour of Thomas's life, they reach the long alley that led to the last turn before the cliff. Okay, I mean, it would have just been 60 minutes long. I don't really think it would have been the longest hour of your life. But also, so they reach the alley, which is prior to the turn, which is prior to the cliff. Like, uh, okay, what a weird signpost for us. But then up ahead, Minnow is slowing at the corner and he's telling everyone to stop. And there's a look of horror on his face. And Minnow's like, oh my God, do you hear that? It's clearly a griever. And, and Thomas is like, what could it be? What? I can't hear anything. What's going on? Like, I, it's the grievers who you, who you came out here to fight. And he's like, what's going on? And Minnow's peeking around the corner and he's like, do my eyes betray me? Is what I'm looking at real? And Minnow's like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> and Thomas is like, what, what is it? And then Thomas hears griever sounds. As expected for everyone else apart from these two ding-dongs. But I guess the big deal is that there's like at least 15 of them. That's what Minnow says. He says, there's at least a dozen of them, maybe 15. And then he reaches up and he rubs his eyes with the heels of his hands. Like he can't believe what he's seeing. Like he's Sylvester the cat from the Looney Tunes or whatever being like, rah, 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 rah. And he says, they're waiting for us. And then Thomas is like, oh no. (laughs) I thought this was the point. I thought you were coming to fight the grievers head on. I mean, you did hope that they would be wandering around the maze, etc. But you also did think that they probably knew you were coming. So uh, they're all shocked. So everyone's heard because, you know, they weren't being discreet up ahead being like, oh no, look at all the grievers. So everyone heard and everyone's terrified. And Newt's like, well, we did kind of expect that we'd have to fight. So, all right. And Thomas was thinking about how they'd all sort of hoped that just one of them would be taken and then they'd have the chance to finally escape. And I'm like, that was your plan that you'd be taken, but no one remembers that plan. And so he's like, oh my God, now now it's here, literally around the corner. What are we going to do? Oh my God. And so he's wondering why the grievers are just waiting. And then he's like, are they enjoying this? Are the creators enjoying watching this? And then he's like, hmm, maybe they've already taken a kid back at the glade and we can just get past them. Why else would they just be sitting there? Dumbest idea ever. Like, who have they taken? Have you seen anyone run past being kidnapped by a griever? Like, no, you haven't. But then he hears griever sounds from behind them and he turns around and there's another pack of grievers. So they're caught in the middle of grievers completely blocked off by grievers. But the grievers on the cliff end, they're still watching and waiting. The grievers on the other side of them, they've pushed up, but now they stop and they're watching and waiting. And Thomas is like, we're surrounded. We've got no other choice now. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I don't know what you were going into this thinking it would be like, but yeah, you're fucked. And he asks Teresa telepathically, what are they doing? What are they waiting for? And she doesn't answer. <laughs> and so that worried him that she didn't answer. So he reached out and squeezed her hand. And they're next to each other. Maybe a communication didn't work. So maybe, 
Use your mouth. Use your words, Thomas. And Thomas says to Newt, hey, you got any ideas? And he's like, no, I don't understand what they're waiting for. What do you mean ideas? Charge them. You've all got weapons. What else are you going to do? And then Albie, he's like, oh, we shouldn't have come. Yeah, no. That's been your stance all along, Albie. I'm, I'm still shocked that you did decide to come. And Thomas was like, ugh, in the mood for no whining. And he's like, yeah, well, we'd be no better off in the homestead. Well, <laughs> you might've been. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be a pack of grievers charging out to the homestead tonight. So you might've been better off. And he says again, he's like, hate to say it, but if one of us dies, not me, but if one of us non-specifically dies, then that's better than all of us. And so then Albie's like, in a moment of silence, everyone's just like, hmm, pondering. And Albie's like, maybe I should just walk towards them. And so he starts walking towards them and they're like, Albie, what are you doing? Get back, get back, Albie. And Albie's ignoring them. And then he just starts running towards the grievers, heading straight for them. And they're like, Albie, no. Who could have foreseen that Albie would go off the deep end? Who would have thought? So once he reaches them, five or six grievers, I don't know how he can't count them, but five or six grievers burst to life and start attacking Albie. And they're pulling him backwards. And Newt yells out and says, let go. <laughs> is, he t- is he talking to the grievers or is he talking to Albie? <laughs> hey guys, guys, stop it. Leave Albie alone. <laughs> so yeah, the grievers kill Albie. <laughs> wow. All right. So Albie's dead. Remember when we had like six chapters in the middle of the book trying to save Albie's life? Well, I guess that was all a waste of time because now Albie's dead. And the grievers just, yeah, full on cut him up. But Thomas, he's sort of reframing it as Albie's act of sacrifice. He was so scared to go back to whatever he'd seen. He'd chosen to be the one to sacrifice himself. So it's kind of like, it's kind of a nice thing really when you think about it. But in my head, I'm just like, hmm. Albie was just off his rocker and didn't know what the fuck he was doing because he was mind addled from the changing and the big trauma of the flare. But yeah, it's nicer to think of him doing something noble. And then Thomas is thinking, seeing Albie go down like that, a new kind of pain he'd never felt before filled his insides. An ill, disturbed pain. It felt worse than any physical kind. I think it might be guilt, but it says, and he didn't even know if it had anything to do with Albie. He'd never much liked the guy. <laughs> All right, he just died. You, you don't have to say how you don't like him. But then he's thinking, oh no, what he'd seen might also happen to Chuck or Teresa. Yeah, it very well might end will. Chuck's going down. I've been saying that for weeks. Finally, Minnow's like, "All right, well, he did just sacrifice himself, so we're going to hop to it or what?" And he says, You guys go, we'll fight them if we have to and make a path to the cliff for you and Teresa. Get in the hole and do your thing. We'll keep them off you until you scream for us to follow. We'll see if that happens. Best laid plans and all. Oh, and Thomas then looked at each of the three sets of grievers and none of them had made a move towards the gladers yet. Okay, so I thought there were just two sets of grievers, but there's a third set of grievers and he's like, yeah, they'll probably go dormant for a while. So then we should just... I don't know, need a minute or two to punch in the code. Uh, It's not going to be that simple. I really doubt the creators are sending out all of these grievers, this big show of strength just to kill one person and then the rest are just going to watch while you go and punch in the code. Like, "Mm, think again. And Newt's disgusted. He's like, how can you guys be so heartless? Because I guess Albie just got shredded to pieces. 
and Minnow says, what do you want, Newt? Should we all dress up and have a funeral? And Newt then looks over and like, yeah, the grievers are still like feeding on Albie. They're just eating him up chunk by chunk. And I guess Newt's thinking like, no, I don't think we should have a funeral. But like, also he's currently being consumed. Maybe a moment of silence at least. But Minnow's like, he sacrificed himself. It might've worked because they're not moving, even though they haven't been moving this whole time. And he says, we'd be heartless if we wasted it. And Newt's like, all right, whatever. So Minnow turns around and tells everyone, number one priority is to protect Thomas and Teresa. Let's get them to the cliff and the hole. But then the sound of the grievers revving to life cut him off. And then Thomas is like, oh no, the grievers, they're waking up. Like, how is he still shocked by the grievers when there's this big giant pack, an army of grievers surrounding him? And he's like, oh no, now they're going to try and attack us. Like, yeah. So the grievers steadily charge toward them. Albie's sacrifice had failed miserably. End of chapter. Maybe you shouldn't have been the one to come up with the theory that only one person had to die. This is your fault, Thomas. Don't be like, oh, Albie's sacrifice had failed. Your theory had failed, dude. Bloody shank. All right, so we go to chapter 56. And so the grievers are heading for them and they're like, oh no, we got to do something. And so Newt says to Minnow, you lead, make a path for Tommy and the girl. Okay, the girl has a name. It's Teresa, probably named after Mother Teresa or someone. Very on the nose there. Okay, so then he's like, we'll make a room for the girl. And so Minnow says again to the Gladers, he's like, all right, guys, we've got to head towards the cliff. What matters most is getting Thomas and Teresa to the Graver Hole. Yeah, you just said. Oh, you've just said. Okay. And so then he's telling Teresa telepathically, he's like, we have to stay close together. Let them do the fighting. We have to get through that hole. (laughs) Every time they say hole, by the way, it's a proper noun, capital H. And they're like, okay, let's do it. Let's go now. And so then they all run forward. And Thomas and Teresa let everyone go up front. They're like, all right, have fun. Good luck. See yous. And then Chuck runs past, but Thomas grabs him. And he says, nah, you're coming with me, little bud. And Chuck's like, oh, but I thought the whole plan was to, you know, battle and and carve a path for you. And Thomas is like, no, 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 you're special. Stick with us. I don't want you to die. Dot, dot, dot. Um, And so then he says, we need your help in the Graver Hole. You know, we need your help, Chuck, because you're so good at everything. And Chuck's like, yes, of course, of course you need my help. And then Thomas felt the pang of sadness in his heart and felt the urge to get Chuck home safely stronger than he'd ever felt it before. Um, okay. I, I know I've been saying all along the foreshadowing's ridiculous, but like that is the heaviest foreshadowing. So then Chuck holds Teresa's hand and Thomas notes, he's not saying a word perhaps for the first time in his life. So even at this critical juncture, Thomas is making a little snide remark about Chuck being talkative. Even at this, the end of days. And so apparently they do make an opening. Not sure how this little pack of youths have made an opening against these grievers. But yeah, they made an opening. So they're like, all right, let's go. We got to go. So the three of them sprint ahead. War raged around them. Gladers are fighting. There's metal clashing against metal. Human screams. Shrieks of the grievers, sores are spinning, people yelling for help, there's blood, there's flashes of steel, shit's going down, and they're just running through it, la-da-dee, la-da-da. And he's just repeating the code words. He's like, float, catch, bleed, death, stiff, push, float, catch, bleed, death, stiff, push. 
And so then something sliced Teresa's arm. And so she screams telepathically, something just sliced my arm. You know what? Say it out loud at this point. You're in a battle. (laughs) What benefit does talking telepathically get you? So then they see the cliff about 20 feet away. So he's pulling ahead. Teresa's talking to him telepathically being like, just keep going. Like, okay, thanks for the sage words of advice. And also just speak out loud. He also notices that Minnow is protecting him as he runs. Oh, God bless Minnow. Minnow's kind of maybe my favorite character. He's emerged in that high point of not being that annoying, which is tough task for some of these characters, real tough task. And I think Minnow's on top. And then Teresa's yelling, one almost got Chuck. Again, telepathically. Don't know how that helps Thomas running up ahead. I don't know why you'd flag that with him. Like, oh, just so you know, one of them almost killed Chuck. Like, you know what? No, that's not inspiring him to move quicker. And so then more Grievers are coming at them and other Gladers are helping run interference. Winston, God bless Winston, my second favorite character. He's now got Albie's bow and arrow because, you know, Albie's are dead. And he's shooting arrows at the Grievers. Um... But he's also, I guess, not really good at it. So he's, he's not really hitting anything. And he's still running. He's still running. Oh, a lot of running. I don't, you know, I knew the book was called The Maze Runner. Like I was aware of that. And so I assumed there would be some level of running. But I'd never really realized how much they talk about running in this book. Like, it's actually quite shocking that every single chapter revolves around him wanting to be a runner or running. And yeah, I just didn't see it coming. So they get to the edge of the cliff. They look for the Griever hole. Remember, Minnow had put the ropes of ivy and knotted vines down the hole and they're attached to the wall. So they could just presumably just like jump and um, try and grab onto that ivy and just like, float down into the hole. Perfect plan. I don't know why Minnow didn't do that previously when he was there earlier setting that up. But okay, so um, he says, you first, Teresa. What? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. How's that chivalrous? He wants her to go first. <laughs> Into the dangerous griever pit where she might also snap her neck. He's like, yeah, you go first. Love that. Thought that was hilarious. So she's like, don't have to tell me twice. And so she jumps, she grabs the vine, she slides down out of existence into that little pocket dimension. And Chuck's like, whoa. And Thomas goes, whoa is right. And he also notes that the slightest hint of Chuck's old self was breaking through. (laughs) Just from that one word, whoa. And he's like, oh, there's that talkative guy again. There's that chatty Kathy we know and love. So he's like, okay, you go next. And so Chuck does so. He almost missed the griever hole, which is hilarious. I don't know how you miss that when there's vines and everything leading into it, but he almost missed it, but he makes it and he disappears inside the hole. And then it says the boy's bravery solidified something in Thomas's heart. He loved the kid. He loved him as if they had the same mum. Oh my God, Captain foreshadowing. And also, do they have the same mum? Is that what they're trying to get at? Because he's feeling this brotherly love for him. Maybe they are actually brothers. I don't know. Or James is just really trying to build up to Chuck's death. Unclear. So then it's Thomas's turn. I guess all the Grievers are just like letting them do this. Um, because we're not really hearing about Grievers trying to stop them. Maybe the boys are just running interference and it's working. But it's all the time in the world to jump into the Graver hole. So he jumps and then he hits the hole. <laughs> Again, what? One of my main life goals is to hit the hole. Uh, And that's the end of the chapter. Okay, we start chapter 57. And so now they're in the griever hole. And it felt like when he hit through the griever hole, he felt an icy cold shot across his skin. Like he jumped through a flat plane of freezing water. So I do think they're in some sort of other dimension or something. Not like a dimension, like they're in another universe or whatever, but more like... They're bending the rules of space and time. I don't know. I don't think they're actually in an invisible box next to a cliff. Like, no. And he falls backwards onto Teresa's arms. And so she and Chuck help him get up. And they're in like this dark room. Luckily, Teresa has a flashlight. And so then Thomas realizes he's standing in a 10 foot high stone cylinder. It's damp. It's covered in oil. And it's stretched out in front of them for dozens of yards before fading into darkness. Can he see for dozens of yards with just her flashlight? And there's also a computer just in that room. I'm also assuming there's like a shit ton of rocks, considering all the amount of rocks they've been throwing into the graver hole, but that's not mentioned. So yeah, they go down the tunnel a little bit. And yeah, there's this computer with a keyboard just ready for them to punch in the code. And Thomas is like, this seems too easy. And Chuck's like, ah, let's hurry up and put the codes in. And Thomas is like, all right, Teresa, you do that. Chuck and I'll keep watch. Make sure Griever doesn't come through the hole. So she gets up to do it. And then he telepathically says to her, wait, are you sure you know the words? Like, fuck me, control freak. If you want to do it, do it. You just asked her to do it. And now you don't think that she knows the words that she found. 
Remember, Thomas was gallivanting around the maze looking for an exit that doesn't exist while she was there actually cracking the code. And she's the one that told him the words. And now he's like, wait, you idiot. Do you know the words? And she's like, yes, I know the fucking words, Tom. I'm perfectly capable of remembering six words. Just as that's happening, a griever plops through the hole and it lands with a squishy thump. And Chuck's like, oh my God. <laughs> and Thomas is like, keep trying, Teresa. Like, are they not going to try and kill the griever? Like I would have had my spear right up in that hole while the griever was falling down, but they just seem to have watched it fall. And they're like, oh, look at that, a griever. No urgency. So now that it's on the floor and it's starting to approach them again, now he whips out his spear and he's like, yeah, yeah. And he tries to start stabbing the griever. And he's like, huh, maybe I can hold it off. And so he's like, hey, Teresa, hurry. And she's like, yeah, I'm hurrying. Also, it's just a few words in a computer. Like it's not gonna take me that long. And she says, yeah, I'm almost done. Stop bothering me. And so meanwhile, he's just trying to stab this griever and he stabs the griever in such a way that its arm falls off. Its arm ripped free of its socket and falls to the floor. Don't know how he did that with his spear, but he did. And he's like, wow. These things are beatable, who knew? (laughs) And then Teresa's like, oh my God, it won't let me enter the last word. Meanwhile, Thomas practically ignores her because he's like having fun stabbing the griever. He's like, woohoo, this is great fun. Stabby, stabby, stabby. And then he does that. So the griever dies. A slimy yellow goo exploded from its flesh, splashing over Thomas's leg. (laughs) Yuck. And then he runs back over to the computer and he's like, oh, I knew you'd not be able to do it. Uh, step aside, chickadee, I'll do it. Well, actually, while he's running back to the computer, he's thinking, wow, I just killed a graver. He's like, I'm killing it. He's like, look at me go. One of these monsters that have terrorized me and like the Gladers for two years, like I just killed one, like easy peasy. I'm sure upstairs in the maze, a bunch of the Gladers have killed gravers. But here Thomas is being like patting himself on the back, being like, look at me go crushing it. And Chuck's like, oh my God, you killed it. And Thomas goes, yeah, wasn't that hard. Um, can we not help Teresa get the code sorted? People are dying upstairs. And so Teresa's like, yeah, it won't let me put in the word push. I can put in all the other words, but not the word push. And Thomas is like, why? (laughs) And she's like, I don't know, Thomas. And then Chuck's like, Thomas, another graver. And then another graver plops down onto the hole and lands on top of the dead graver. And Chuck's like, what's taken so long? You said they'd turn off when you punched in the code. And they're like, right, right, we can't put in the last word. And Thomas says, it won't let us enter the word push. He's just talking out loud, not really speaking to Chuck, it says, because he's like, Chuck's an idiot. Chuck's not going to be helpful. I'm just going to talk to myself. So they've put in the five words and they can't put in the six word push. And they can't figure out what that means. And these are supposedly the most intellectual children on earth who have been gathered up to be in an experiment because of their intellect. And we're meant to believe that Thomas and Teresa were so intelligent that they're also involved in the maze building process. And he's also got his memories of the maze that he helped build. And he can't figure out what push might mean. Hmm. All right, let's just, let's just consider that for a second. And then finally, Chuck says, maybe you should just push the button. And Thomas was so surprised by the random statement that he turned away from the grievers and looked at the boy. 
random stack. How's that random? Chuck was pointing at a spot near the floor, right underneath the screen and keyboard. That was a button. (laughs) Huh. And above the button are the words, kill the maze. And they missed it completely. The smartest people that these creators could round up. And And they missed the button completely. And dummy Chuck was the only one to notice. From the word push. Meanwhile, the grievers grabbed onto Thomas and is trying to pull him away. And so Thomas is like, hey, maybe you should push the button. Just stealing Chuck's idea. He does that a lot. He always steals an idea and takes credit for it. And so Teresa pushes the button and then everything goes perfectly silent. And then from somewhere down the dark tunnel came the sound of a door sliding open. End of chapter. Oh my God, they did it. Yay. I mean, does it feel like an anticlimax to you guys? All they had to do was push a button, but yeah. Okay. So we go to chapter 58. The gravers have all shut down. Thomas is not dead from the graver attacking him. And he's like, oof, that was a close one. And then Chuck and Teresa are hugging and she's like, you did it, Chuck. And Thomas is probably thinking like, well, actually I helped. Um, But she's like, you did it, Chuck. We were so worried about the stupid code words. We didn't think to look around for something to push. (laughs) The last word, the last piece of the puzzle. I mean, yeah, they could have maybe, I don't know, not had a random button underneath the computer. They could have had an enter key on the computer keyboard. I I sort of get where they're coming from. You don't expect a a big button that says kill the maze, but there was one and Chuck found it. And so they're all like, wow, you're a hero, Chuck. And Thomas says, Chuck, you saved us, man. I told you we needed you. Chuck's a shucking hero. And so then Minnow comes through the graver hole and he's like, about fucking time. And he looks like shit. He looks like he has been scratched or stabbed on 90% of his body. And Thomas is like, oh, hey, Minnow, what's going on? And Minnow says, we lost a ton of people up there. It's a mess. But then they all just shut down. So I guess you did it. Can't believe it worked. And here's where no one gives credit to Chuck. Thomas is like, yeah, thanks. (laughs) Chuck's a shucking hero. We're not going to tell anyone about it. But Chuck, you're a hero, Chuck. But yeah, thank you. We did it. Teresa and I did it. So anyway, half of them are dead, but the other half that are still living start plopping their way through the graver hole. And I think we were only told that there were 41 of them (laughs) at the start of the battle. So that now when James Dashner has given us a tally of people jumping through the graver hole, we can be like, oh, that's half of them. Because it says before long, 18 boys had joined Thomas and his friends in the tunnel, making a total of 21 gliders in all. So 21 out of 41. Not bad. And Minnow says, well, you know what? Half might have died, but half of us shuck and lived and nobody got stung, just like Thomas thought. So that's great. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Very glass half full, Minnow. Thomas does feel a little bit bad. He's like, oh, that's a lot. That's a lot of them to die. I was hoping just one would die. Not me, obviously, but I was hoping one person would die. And so they're all just standing around moping and Newt's like, maybe we should get out of here. And they're like, oh yeah, good idea. And Thomas is like, oh, have I not said um, a door opened down that way through the tunnel? And they're like, yeah, why didn't you bring that up earlier? They've been standing around in silent mourning. But so anyway, Mino's like, OK, well, if if there's a door, let's head for it. So they all start walking down the dark tunnel. And Thomas says that he and Teresa will go last. And then after a minute or so of walking, he starts to hear shrieking. But not like 
bad shrieking. I don't know. Their cries faded as they were falling. And Thomas is like, sounds like there's some sort of a slide up there shooting downward. So they're just going on a big giant slide. And he's like, oh my God, it seems like it's some sort of a game for whoever had built the place. Like, you've been in an experimental maze for two years. Like the whole thing's been a game. So then they get there and it's their turn. They're the only two left and they have to go down the slide. And they're still talking telepathically, even though no one's around. So Thomas is like, hmm, all right, well, I guess I'll go down the slide. I mean, it sounds like fun to me, but Thomas isn't enjoying it. He says it was a steep decline, slick with an oily goo that smelled awful, like burned plastic and overused machinery. The screams of the other gladers echoed off the tunnel walls as they slid down the oily chute. And so panic's gripping him. But again, I think it sounds like a hoot. And then the smell changed to something more like mildew and rot and he starts to gag. And so then he's thinking he's going to vomit, which, oh, I mean, you don't want to do that in the slide. I think, thankfully, he's the last one. So the vomit wouldn't be flying back into someone else's face behind him. But still, you don't want to, you don't want to spew in a slide. Yuck. But then also, I think there's like a clog up ahead. And because Teresa went first, he's then sliding down and then his feet smack right into her in the head. So (laughs) he kicks her in the head. Oh, hilarious. Didn't think we'd be getting a slide scene from the Maze Runner either. This book just constantly surprises. Oh, but they're still going. uh, They're going forever. Around and around they went down the tube. Oh, and now also he still feels like he's going to vomit. And he's right on Teresa's shoulders. So... That would not be pretty. And then finally he flew out of the tunnel and then landed on top of Teresa. (laughs) This poor bitch. She's copping it with Thomas back behind her. I mean, could he have given her like a five second head start or something before jumping into the shoot after her? And so everyone's just like scrambling on top of each other, (laughs) all coming out of this slide. Oh, hilarious. So then he gets up and he scoots away from Teresa and then he throws up. So he held it in till he got to the ground and then he's like, everywhere. And then he's looking around trying to figure out where he is. And then he's like, whoa. And he says he remembered some of this during the changing, but didn't truly remember it until that very moment. What? Yeah, he's been through the changing and he didn't remember this big giant slide. That, that's all a shock to him. Anyway, so he's looking around. They're in a huge underground chamber, big enough to hold nine or 10 homesteads. Which is interesting because I don't actually know how big the homestead is. So I'll just, I'll just go with it. And the place is covered in machinery, computers. And on one side, there's all these pods that look like enormous white coffins. Okay. And then there's this big glass door. And then someone says, look. And directly in front of them, a row of 20 or so tinged windows stretched across the compound horizontally. Behind each one, a person, some men, some women, all of them pale and thin, were observing the gladers, staring through the glass at them. And Thomas is like, whoa. And he thinks they all look like ghosts, angry, starving, sinister apparitions of people who'd never been happy when alive, much less dead. It's pretty brutal. <laughs> if I was one of those scientists, I'd be like, hey. <laughs> I don't look that bad. (laughs) Yeah, I could do with a bit of color at a nice big meal, but like, I don't feel like I look like a ghost. (laughs) An unhappy ghost and also unhappy when alive, much less dead. Like that's pretty brutal. 
And then it says, but Thomas knew they were not ghosts, of course. Like, of course. We didn't actually think that they were ghosts. (laughs) Of course they're not ghosts. Of course they're fucking not. They were the people who'd sent them all to the glade. The people who'd taken their lives away from them. The creators. End of chapter. Ooh, we're meeting the creators and they're dead ghosts, apparently. So, that was the big battle and and the code. We're out of the maze. We're we're almost at the end of the book. Next week will be the last week looking at the Maze Runner book itself. I haven't decided yet if I want to also watch the movie. (sighs) I might have to take a week and just think about it before I really commit to watching the movie. We'll see. If any of you have actually seen the movie and can recommend it as either being really bad or surprisingly good, please let me know because I just hate this book so much and I don't really think I want to relive it through the art of film, but we'll see. And I'll see you guys next week for the conclusion of The Maze Runner. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.